0: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Genetic Engineering and Society Center's weekly colloquium seminar. Um, This week, I'm happy to present Adam Kokotovic, who's a postdoc research scholar at NC State. And a little bit about Adam's background. He has a bachelor's of mechanical engineering from the College of Science and Engineering at the University of Minnesota. A master's of science in science, technology, and environmental policy from the University of Minnesota, and a PhD in natural resource science and management from also from the University of Minnesota. And Adam has been a postdoc research scholar with NC State since January two thousand eighteen. And over the course of his position, he's worked on three different interdisciplinary teams. So we're very excited to have Adam here. Today, he's gonna talk about unpacking the values, Latin nature of risk assessment, the case of gene drive technology. And also would like to let everybody know that it is his birthday. So happy birthday, Adam, and thank you for joining us today.
1: Um, The question we're gonna look at today is, how how do these two things come together? What's the role of engagement itself in risk assessment? Um, How do we understand the role of value judgments in risk assessment? And how do we think about designing engagement specifically for risk assessment? So to delve into this topic, I think we need to address um, these following questions. What is ecological risk assessment? A brief introduction to it. What are the value judgments in risk assessment? I should say... I'm going to use ecological risk assessment and risk assessment interchangeably, acknowledging that ecological risk assessment is but one form of risk assessment, uh, but in the context of gene editing and jar technology, um, ecological risk assessment is, is an important um, form of risk assessment for those technologies. Well, then kind of discuss how we define and design engagement for risk assessment, looking at a case study of of engagement that was conducted for spotted wing drosophila in gene drive technology. And I'll conclude with some challenges facing engagement in risk assessment. Okay, so to begin, um, what is risk assessment? So, Risk assessment is classically one of the three components of risk analysis alongside risk communication and risk management. And for the, the topic of, of today's talk, um, it's important to recognize that we're going to be discussing engagement in risk assessment per se, not in risk communication or risk management or risk analysis or risk governance. Those are all important areas to foster in in to foster engagement. But today we're interested in the topic of risk assessment, uh, engagement to risk assessment per se. Okay, so as far as a discussion uh, definition, risk, ecological risk assessment can be defined as a process to systematically evaluate and organize data, information, assumptions, and uncertainties in order to help understand and predict the relationships between stressors and ecological effects in a way that is useful for environmental decision making. So, you know, we have things that we uh, are concerned about, potential stressors, and we have things that we value, and we're curious. You know, how do the stressors impact the things that we value? There are generally three steps to risk assessment, or three phases: um, problem formulation, analysis, and risk characterization. If the problem formulation phase being about establishing the context, scope, and scale of the risk assessment, the analysis phase, looking at exposure analysis and effects analysis, so how do stressors and these valued ecological entities interact, and um, how does that interaction negatively impact those ecological entities in the effects analysis? And then finally, risk characterization, we, we characterize the risks and summarize findings for decision making. So that's a thousand level overview of of what risk assessment is. Today's topic, um, a key portion of this talk is really this question of what's the role of value judgments in risk assessment.
2: So we're just gonna jump right
1: in and and provide some some examples of value judgments in risk assessment per se. So these are judgments that one may make differently based on their values or worldviews or expertise. and so, yes, what are some examples of this? Problem, in problem formulation is where, you know, classically most um, many value judgments are recognized and um, kind of addressed in the risk assessment process. So problem formulation value judgments would include which ecological entities are most valued, which do we want to make sure that we're addressing in a risk assessment. You know, you can't look at all possible Species or ecological entities that could be impacted by a technology because there's really just too many. You have to prioritize them in certain ways. And that prior, like which ones you prioritize, is a value judgment that's going to be based on your worldview, on your discipline, on these types of things. What counts as harm? Another value judgment, right? When does inconsequential change become consequential change? What level of decrease in a population size would need to occur? What about um, non lethal impacts? Like what counts as harm really varies as well based on, based on your worldview. Um, relatedly, which potential adverse effects and risk pathways are most important to study within a risk assessment? Within the analysis or risk characterization phase, there's a host of other value judgments that we could recognize, such as how do we interpret data or make extrapolations? Um, These might be epistemic value judgments, but they're still value judgments. Are surrogate species used? How do we weigh conflicting studies? So these are just examples. So we're thinking about the types of of, um, value judgments that we wish to pay attention to. Okay, so why do value judgments matter, right? And so I think a helpful way to think about it is with regards to selective ignorance. Um, So, selective ignorance has been defined by Kevin Elliott as something that stems from the wide range of often subtle research choices or value judgments that lead to the collection of some forms of knowledge rather than others. So, these value judgments lead us to um, look at certain things, prioritize certain things in risk assessment, and then necessarily leave some things out, um, not focus on things to limit the study at risk. So to just drive this home, we're gonna look at it in a little uh quick diagram. So value judgments are going represented by V, selective ignorance by S. We're gonna have a really simplistic understanding of risk assessment. So we have problem formulation, the analysis phase, risk characterization, and then ideally that you know informs decisions about a technology, right? And so let's take for example a uh, a gene drive, a gene drive technology that's been developed for a mosquito to address mosquito-borne illness. Um, and so during the problem formulation phase, you know, we're thinking about okay, what specific species we want to look at? How do we want to define what actually constitutes harm with regards to changes in those species? And so maybe, you know, birds, fish, frogs, dragonflies, these are all identified as, as key, and these would be actually specific species of those. If we're choosing species, but key types of of animals that we want to look at, right? And maybe um, the damsel fly is left out. So this is one form of selective ignorance. People think, oh, the damsel fly is close enough to a dragonfly. We're not going to privilege it here. So that value judgment about what we what we choose to focus on also includes selective ignorance in terms of what we choose not to focus on one form of it. In the analysis phase, perhaps one species of fish that is particularly culturally relevant um, is very hard to study, right? And so in order, the decision is made to study a different species of fish and make some extrapolations about how it may impact the fish that is most culturally relevant. So that's a a second type of value judgment, this using extrapolation and how that extrapolation takes place. So now we have a, a different form of selective ignorance concerning that extrapolation. In the risk characterization, you may be dealing with um, some conflicting studies that you have to reconcile. And so that would lead to a third form of selective ignorance. So how, which studies we choose to privilege, which ones we choose to marginalize, how we deal with that, those conflicting studies also perf- you know, creates a form of selective ignorance. And so ultimately the decision that's made on this risk characterization has embedded within it these types of selective ignorance because of the value judgments inherent to the risk assessment process. Now the point isn't that we can get rid of value judgments or get rid of selective ignorance, right? If you get rid of value judgments, there's nothing left um, because they're essential to the risk assessment process. The point is, is to be aware of the value judgments that are being made, be aware of the selective ignorance that results, and open those decisions to um, kind of inclusive deliberation, we could say, from an engagement standpoint. Okay, so at this point in time, I, I find it useful to ask this question of when were value judgments recognized in risk assessment? Is this some sort of recent phenomenon where science and technology studies scholars have come and turned their eyes towards risk assessments? Or is it something that has been um, recognized for a longer uh, amount of time? And the answer is, is that ever since one of the first major reports on, on risk assessments in the U.S. context back in 1983, the NRC's what's came to be known as the Red Book, um, have have values been recognized in risk assessment. So the Red Book is most famously um, known for calling for the distinction between risk assessment and risk management. However, that distinction does not mean that risk assessment is outside of value judgments. Um, And so they specifically talk about these value judgments in terms of risk assessment policy is what they call them. So this is defined in the book as as judgments made in risk assessment, when several scientifically plausible or inference options exist. And these need to be made when making extrapolations, addressing uncertainties, or sorry, addressing studies with conflicting results, weighing evidence, and addressing uncertainty. As a quote in this in the Red Book says that a scientist makes the choices does not render the judgments devoid of policy implications. Scientists differ in their opinions of the validity of various options, even if they are not consciously choosing to be more or less conservative. So 38 years ago, this realization of the role of values and risk assessment was recognized. What wasn't kind of called for in this book is to deal with those value judgments using engagement, that is, I guess, the, the, the pivot um, more recently. So, related to this, then, I think the role of value judgments and risk assessment directly relates to this question of engagement. And so, you know, people answer this question differently. Do worldview, preferences, and values matter in risk assessment? Some people uh, continue to say no to this question. They, then see that risk assessment is the realm of a narrow range of experts. While other people answer this question, me and and colleagues, uh, answer this question that yes, these things do matter, and engagement is, is one way that we can help navigate these value judgments present within risk assessments. Okay, so we can then get to a definition of what engagement in risk assessment is, and I'm putting together I'm starting with the NASEM reports definition of of engagement here. So, seeking and facilitating the sharing and exchange of knowledge, perspectives, and preferences between or among groups who often have differences in expertise, power, and values. So that component of of engagement should be familiar to us who are familiar with that NASEM report on gene drives. And then what's added here in the the context of, of risk assessment is we're doing those things to recognize, reflect upon and inform the value judgments within risk assessment. So we want to uh, share and exchange knowledge, perspectives and preferences to one, recognize where value judgments exist within risk assessment. Two, reflect on what's at stake in how we make those value judgments. What's at stake if we, um, yes, include certain species over others, if we extrapolate in certain ways, if we design models in certain ways, et cetera, what's at stake in that? And then ultimately to inform, ultimately decide upon what those value judgments should be. So it's really a 3 prong kind of definition about why engagement is important in risk assessment. Okay, it's also useful to review some justifications for engagement in risk assessment. Why is engagement a useful thing in risk assessment? Um, and so one reason there are substantive reasons for it in that it leads to it can lead to better decisions when you include scientific expertise, local knowledge, indigenous knowledge, you can get to better decisions. it can also reduce the likelihood of causing unintended harm. If you actually reach out to people who may hold have different
2: worldviews than you and ask them, what changes to the environment based on this
1: technology being released would be harmful to you, you are then aware of those and you're less likely to um, make a decision about a technology that leads to harm. If you aren't aware of the different ways that people have uh, relates to harm or define harm, you're more likely to cause harm because you're just unaware of it. You, You may assume everybody sees the world that relates to the world as you do, or you just may be unaware that those types of of differences exist. There are normative reasons for doing so in terms of justice and rights. For example, um, I I think it is easy to argue that it is unjust to impose one particular view of harm upon a community or a a nation or a people. There are
2: instrumental
1: reasons for pursuing engagements. So related to trust of the ultimate characterization of risk coming from a risk assessment or the ultimate decision that's built upon the results of a risk assessment. And, you know, it's, it relates to this question of how trustworthy is a black box that just gets out the risks, right? I would argue, especially nowadays, it's uh, we have less trust of black boxes that so we don't understand how they work. It's better to open that black box, um, take And one way to open and be aware of what's in a black box is to take part in that process. So if you are at the workshop where problem formulation or analysis is taking place within a risk assessment and you see what's going on, I think that makes you more likely to trust the results as long as the the process is is legitimate. Okay, so social learning then is a fourth. So you can have improved understandings of, of people Um, different ways that people see these issues. You may learn about people's worldviews, learn why they relate to technology in a certain way. And this may help um, reduce polarization or reduce just seeing people who don't, seeing people dissimilar to you as just kind of abstract others. You may come to like understand um, that they are actual people with actual stories that think the way they do for a reason. Okay. So in terms of thinking about a design of risk assessment, um for me, keeping front of mind that we're seeking to recognize, reflect upon, and inform the value judgments within risk assessment is, is essential. So Engagement also, in my view, needs to be matched to the component of risk assessment or the phase of risk assessment that you're looking at. Problem formulation, analysis. um, You're going to ask different questions in each of those phases. I also then, you know, put up here risk assessment guidelines. So guidelines um, are kind of the cookbook instructions that are followed when assessing risks for a particular topic or technology or stressor. Uh, And right now, there's a lot of formal and informal work going on to establish risk assessment guidelines for gene drive technology. And I would argue that there is a a role for engagement to play in actually establishing those guidelines, um, both to figure out, you know, how applicable are existing risk assessment paradigms, what should the key risk assessment steps be for these emerging biotechnologies, And for example, what should the role of engagement be when conducting specific risk assessments on specific technology applications? Okay. The other thing to highlight here is that certainly there are different amounts of expertise required within these different components of risk assessment. So problem formulation um, has a lower uh, amount of expertise required because you're answering basic questions like, what's the most important component of this environment to you? What constitutes harm? Um, As opposed to an analysis phase, stage of risk assessment, or scientific studies of risk characterization, or guidelines, to take part in that engagement on those topics, you need a higher degree of expertise. Now, that doesn't mean that we just conduct engagements in problem formulation. That means that who you engage in those different components will be different. You may need to engage with expert stakeholders who hold the required expertise but also have a diversity of worldviews. Which brings us to this participation inclusion criteria. For me, this is an, like, one of the most important points of why do we include people? We want people with a diversity of expertise for kind of obvious reasons. We also want people who hold a diversity of perspectives, I would argue. Um, And by that, I mean people who have different relationships to technology, nature, economics, and regulation. So for example, if everybody, your entire sample, your entire workshop or your entire sample, if you're doing a survey of people that you're including
2: in risk assessment, all
1: feel that they're all kind of tech optimists who feel that technology can solve our our problems facing us. They all feel that nature is a resource to be exploited to the greatest degree possible. That's going to lead to certain blind spots, right? Because there's a much wider diversity of worldviews that exist, perspectives that exist. And if you only include a subset, you're going to be missing out on the wider set of perspectives that can help you see, recognize, see and recognize value judgments in a particular way. So recognize and reflect upon. If you have a greater set of perspectives, you'll be able to do that reflection work in a deeper level. Okay, situatedness would be another set of criteria to consider. You know, where where are people located, their identity, um, the amount of power they have, the sector they're involved with. So to get a really nice broad set of worldviews, one needs to consider these different criteria. And then in terms of methods, um, there's a host of different methods that can be uh, uh, useful for conducting designing and conducting engagement and risk assessment, and it really depends on the context and what you're trying to achieve, but surveys, interviews, focus, focus groups, or workshop, a town hall, these could all be relevant. Okay, Another way to think about this is that you know there are certain design decisions that we make when conducting or uh, conducting engagement. So which components are we addressing? When do we conduct it? What questions and methods do we um, choose to address? Who do we include? What facilitation strategy do we use for bringing people together? And these decisions should be informed by the context that you're facing. Okay, so what, where is it, the technology status? Where is it at in the development? And what are the attributes of the technology? Where might the technology be used? What's the environmental context? What's your own institutional context as an organizer of engagement? What's the decision context in terms of you know, the regulatory decision process? You could think about a diversity. What are the diversity of perspectives that exist? What is the history around this technology, around this particular location? What's, what are the power relationships? What's the indigenous people's context? And if we were to sit down, I'm sure we could come up with, you know, a list of contextual things to consider, you know, three times as long as this. But the importance is just that we want to recognize the context build that into the design, so that we can achieve the goals that we want to for engagement and risk assessment. Okay. So now we're gonna take a look at a case study of some engagement that we um, designed and conducted. So just a little little description of it here. It had to do with proposed technology under development. We were seeking to identify and prioritize potential adverse effects, and we conducted focus groups with survey and a survey with stakeholders. So to get more into the the details of this, um, this work was undergone with a variety of collaborators here at NC State. So I'd like to um, recognize them and, um, and they, you know, we work together in, in doing this, in doing this work. So this work has to do with spotted wing Drosophila. So for those of you who aren't familiar, spotted drosophila is an invasive pest of soft skin fruit, which was initially detected in the US in 2008. It has led to an increase in pesticide use and a lot of crop damage. And because it is a particularly problematic pest, many biotechnologies have been proposed to address it, including uh, the use of gene drive technology. None of these are, you know, uh, Fully completed yet. They're all kind of in the research and development phase, but there's, um, multiple biotechnologies being proposed. So in the context of this novel, uncertain, complex, and controversial technology being proposed for spotted with Drosophila, we sought to understand how stakeholders were, were, uh, relating to the potential benefits and potential consequences of this technology. So the risk assessment related components of this study involved trying to identify and prioritize the potential adverse effects of a spotted wing drosophila gene drive. And this took place in two parts, Uh, focus groups which were led by Joanna, And those were seeking to identify beneficial and detrimental outcomes from proposed biotechnologies. So the format of that was each biotechnology was described, and then there was just an open discussion um, trying to grasp what the, the breadth of possible beneficial and detrimental outcomes were. From there, we took the detrimental outcomes and kind of turned them into potential adverse effects to conduct the survey on. Um, And so we did a survey of 184 spotted wind drosophila related stakeholders with the goals of prioritizing these potential adverse effects and understanding the key factors that influence stakeholder decision making around um, gene drive technology. So the format of the survey, we provided a general description of the gene drive technology for spotted wind drosophila. Um, We couldn't, you know, provide a specific description of the gene drive technology because it doesn't exist yet. We don't know what actual attributes of a gene drive um, there could be for this because it's it's all still being researched and it's still the R&D phase. So after we provide that general description, we then ask participants to describe the three most important factors that influence their decision making. We ask them to judge the importance of potential adverse effects using a Likert scale. Then we ask them to do a ranking exercise of the most important potential adverse effects. So in terms of, you know, thinking about engagement in risk assessment design, what are the take-home points? So first, from our design so far, right? First, engagement for risk assessment can take place at any point in, the, in technological development. So Just because the technology isn't, you know, going up for regulatory approval, doesn't mean you can't start doing engagement to understand some of these risk assessment related questions. Two, we chose, you know, it's important to choose the relevant participants given the current context. So because we didn't know where this technology was going to be used, what the specific attributes of it are, but we could think about, okay, If it's for spotted wing drosophila, then spotted wing drosophila related stakeholders would be a good place to start this engagement. The focus group design, you know, it was a generative process. We were seeking to understand the breadth of possible concerns and um, possible benefits from this technology. It wasn't about coming to agreement, it wasn't about narrowing in on the most important. That came through the survey, where we were able to, you know, ask qualitative and quantitative questions. And with the survey, it was a very efficient way to achieve broad participation on these questions. You know, what we did was in alignment with, with our budget and expertise, and we see as a starting point for engagement in gene drive risk assessment, not an ending point. So, what were some of the findings that we, we came to? Um, so, in terms of the ranked importance of potential adverse effects, uh, the top three were a decrease in beneficial insects, an increase in non-spotted winter secondary pest infestations, and a decrease in grower profits. There's a mix here of, of ecological adverse effects and socioeconomic. We asked them to rank across all, and that decrease in beneficial insects came across as the, the most important one by far. We also then asked people, you know, how much do you support or oppose the use of gene drive technology to control spotted wing drosophila? We had a a sample that really did support or strongly support, but we then wanted to understand, you know, how does that support influence how concerned they are about potential adverse effects? So we looked at how support related to the amount of concern about potential adverse effects. So here are the number of people who were you know, held different levels of concern about the decrease in, in beneficial insects that leads to a measurable reduction in pollination or predation rates, adverse effect. And as you can see, even for the people that claim or that chose, said that they support the technology, they, uh, by a factor of three, were moderately, highly, or extremely concerned compared to not at all or slightly concerned. And we kind of saw this um, across the board for many of these uh, ecological adverse effects. So what this means is that support for for gene drive technology does not equal to a lack of concern about potential adverse effects, which really emphasizes the importance of risk assessment and considering these things going forward. Okay, so what are some next steps for this work? So when the gene drive technology for spotted wing drosophila is is further specified, when we know what its attributes are, where it could be used, we can do a variety of of additional engagement exercises. We can engage a broader set of stakeholders, not just those who have a relationship to spotted wing drosophila. We can incorporate engagement into all components of risk assessment instead of just um, a narrow part of problem formulation. And we can increase the depth of engagement by using additional methods such as workshops. It's very hard to do engagement in the analysis phase of risk assessment, not in a workshop because of the amount of detail that goes on. So that's, um, you know, that method would be required for, for getting into some more of that detail. Okay, my final slide here, just to outline some of the challenges that exist Um, and discuss them, because I think these are also important to have in mind when thinking about designing engagement for risk assessment and and what engagement in risk assessment is is trying to do. So first is the political value of objective risk. There's a reason why I think the dominant societal understanding of risk is that it's something done by scientists outside of, of values. And that's because it's easy to justify decisions when you say, um, that it's the result or they're informed by an objective risk assessment process. It's easy for decision makers to justify decisions. It's easy for agencies to justify what they do. So this can be a tension with regards to designing engagement because of the fact that it comes into conflict with this idea that risk assessment is outside of value judgments. Fear of the post truth era of powerful interest taking over a risk assessment process and a polarization. These fears are, you know, I think legitimate, right? But I think the important thing to keep in mind is that there are ways to design and to facilitate engagement to navigate these things. These are real issues. These are real challenges. But they're not reasons to avoid engagement. They're reasons to design it well and to thoughtfully consider um, the role of, of facilitation. So providing information versus persuasion. So, undoubtedly, when conducting engagement and risk assessment, because it is such a kind of, in many ways, highly technical thing, you will need to provide information to participants. Um, But it's important to recognize that providing information can kind of sneak into a persuasion if one isn't careful about how one provides information. Are we embedding within the information we provide certain ideas of what constitutes a reasonable risk, of what should constitute harm, of what isn't a reasonable risk to consider, or are we really trying to provide information in a transparent and, and helpful way? Okay, including marginalized use as the fourth one. There could be an entire uh, talk on this topic, um, and there's just two points I want to bring up. One is that it is important to um, incorporate marginalized, include marginalized views, worldviews within engagement and risk assessment, so that, as I was saying under the justifications, for example, you don't cause uh, unintended harm, right? You want to understand the breadth of ways that people relate to the environment, to try and be aware of ways that technologies may cause harm. At the same time, including people with marginalized worldviews within the engagement is kind of the easy step to take. There may be particular worldviews, particular indigenous worldviews that do not align with some of the foundational assumptions within risk assessment. And then there might need to be a discussion of, um, you know, what are the ways of, of opening up environmental assessment, opening up and kind of pivoting risk assessment to be more in alignment with Particular worldview. So there's there's a growing literature on this that it's important to um, engage with. Okay, overwhelm versus the path of least resistance. So I think it's it's also easy at the end of um, a talk like this or when considering engagement in risk assessment to be like, this just seems like too much of a headache um, and too overwhelming, therefore I'm not going to do it. Or therefore I'm going to do. Uh, the little, the least amount possible while still making, you know, checking the boxes that I did something, right? And I think we want to avoid overwhelm we want to avoid kind of checking out just doing the path of least resistance. And so ways to do that are to, you know, design at a manageable scale to collaborate across disciplines and use facilitation. So much of what overwhelms one person excites another person as, as, you know, engaging design opportunities or design challenges. And also, you know, to recognize that the difficulties that come up when fostering engagement and risk assessment are, aren't are necessarily bad things. They may be highlighting things that need to be dealt with, um, whatever, more broadly in society as we think about whether and and under what conditions to use these types of emerging biotech technologies. Okay, so with that, I will um, make a few acknowledgements about the bottom project and pause, and I will be happy to uh, take any questions, entertain any discussion um, about the presentation. Thanks for listening.
2: Great, uh, thanks so much, Adam. Um, So if anyone has questions and you'd like to ask them live with your cameras on, um, please use the raise hand function um, and I'll be able to call on you or feel free to write your question directly in the chat box and we will read those out as well. Um, I see one question in the chat already, Adam. Um, So Dylan's asking, who's included in the other category in your surveys? Uh, Were fruit consumers included in in that sample? Okay, fruit
1: consumers were not included. Um, in the other category, um, we're actually uncertain. It's kind of an unspecified other. These are people who checked the other box and didn't write anything in. So we're actually uncertain what that other category is.
2: Uh, we have a question from Kara. Uh... How do you feel about using uncertainty assessments as a way to better inform how well uncertainty influences risk assessments? And how should these uncertainty assessments be factored into engagement activities? Um,
1: you know, I think figuring out how to deal with uncertainty is a uh, key question for engagements um i think beyond like it's an important topic and which of the potential methods that exist for dealing with it should be used and and all of those you know subsequent discussions i think the important thing is to have the subsequent discussion recognize it as a topic and then have that discussion um you know the whether the the relevance of particular uncertainty assessments um, would emerge through the engagement exercise and through the people having that
2: discussion. Okay, great. Uh, we have a question from Nicole. Uh, Nicole, you should be able to unmute yourself and ask your question. Cool.
0: Good talk, Adam. Um, so, I think one more challenge is the feasibility for graduate students as an iGrid student, I totally buy into the need and the importance of public engagement. But as an entomology student, public outreach is the norm, which, as you know, is for education purposes. So if you went around and told entomology students that um, they should be doing this and even if they bought in, I, I feel like it's hard. So with your collaboration and experience with Hannah Barak, do you have any suggestions for graduate students?
1: Yeah, thank you very much, Nicole, for the question. I think it's a great one. Um, and one that I hear when I, you know, speak to classes about this, this topic. Um, so, you know, I think it's like often when people think public engagement, they're like, oh, I need to do this gargantuan set of things with random members of the public or random communities that I have no you know contact with and they just think these big hard things, right? But engagement, you know, includes diversity of expertise. So it's like, you know, people are already doing engagement by involving a diversity of expertise in, in their work. Um, I think, you know, this question of how do you design something that's manageable, how do you collaborate with people from different disciplines who may have an interest in doing that work? Or how do you just design something that's like, okay, I know that there are potential stakeholders out there that have an interest in what I'm doing. So what are the value judgments within my own work? And how could I design a simple survey to like ask 20 expert stakeholders that I'm aware of what they think of these things, right? It doesn't need to be complex. Qualtrics is a great, simple way to do surveys. Um, it can really start Quite basic. The question is Do you recognize the need? Can you recognize the value judgments in what you're doing and the potential role for engagement to help inform them? And then from there, it's like, okay, like there's good, better, and best. And it's fine to stay in good, especially as a graduate student when you have a gazillion things on your plate. I would, you know, do what you're most interested in, do what's doable for you. And if you want to go, you know, to better or best, then
2: know, you can do that too. Thanks. Okay, we're going to go to, forgive me if I mispronounce your name, uh, Raul Medina. You should be able to uh, unmute yourself and ask your question. Oh, yeah.
3: Hello, Uh, great talk. Uh, I was just, can you hear me? Yes, thank you. Uh, I was curious about uh, situations in which you expose the public to a novel technology something that had not been used before when you explain them the, what the technology is about you control the narrative of that and then you get their, their responses how reflective do you think will those results be once the the when you compare with the with doing the same thing after the technology is in the public consciousness and now you are not controlling the narrative but let's say there's media outlets there's a lot of uh, people speaking about technology in, on all sorts of sources and then now people have formed an opinion that has nothing to do with uh, an explanation coming from a scientist or researcher but from a different entity and then now they now it's different because all of the science they can take a position that is not necessarily based on what you want it to base no matter how objective you wanted to try so basically what i'm asking is like how valuable it is to actually use results from engagement efforts way before technology is in the value consciousness. Do you can you comment
2: on that?
1: Yes. Thank you. That's a that's a great point. I'm I'm happy you articulated it like that and so well it's a challenge that I think is you know important to all engagement exercises. Um you know and it has to do with the kind of providing information versus persuasion points that I was discussing at the end there. That challenge um You know, for me, when I'm thinking about doing engagement for risk assessment per se, I'm not going to involve people who have never heard of the technology before in most risk assessments, right? It's That's that's like the least low-hanging fruit possible is to bring people in who have never heard of the technology. There are a lot of, you know, stakeholders who hold different levels of expertise who are aware of the technology. who are aware of the issues around the technology, that's a much easier place to start. Um, I think, yeah, so that's one point. The other point is that, yes, you know, if you get to the point where you're doing broader public engagement around these things, um, it, is ch- it is a definite challenge in terms of how do you uh, provide information in a media or in a, you know, media or discursive environment where there's already ideas out there, which, you know, some may be uh, more, what's the word you wanna use, legitimate or based in evidence than others. Um, So anyways, it's a great point. It's a challenge to deal with. I would start first by engaging with, with stakeholders and expert stakeholders who do have an understanding of these things.
2: Okay. Thank you. Um, so, Adam, do you still have a question? Um, you should be able to unmute yourself. Um, actually, my question was covered by what Raoul said. Um, yeah, I was wondering about the reconciliation between um, expert knowledge, which is really hard, sometimes really hard to keep up with, and then trying to involve um, external... You know, non-experts or experts in different fields in that discussion. Um, so how do you, yeah, translate it? Um, but I think we're all, um, covered that. Yeah, Adam, do you want to comment on that or should I move on?
1: No, I mean, the only thing that that comes to mind is to remember, you know, from my framing of engagement, the goal is to recognize and reflect upon value judgments, right? So who are the right people to help you do that, right? Um, And so keeping that in mind and thinking about, you know, the right expert, like the right people to involve and what information is needed to do that kind of reflecting upon these judgments.
2: I'm going to move to the, the chat questions. We have a comment and a question from Stephen. Um, so first he says, happy birthday and celebrate safely. But um, he's asking, in addition to sort of your take-home points of doing engagement at any time, choosing relevant, relevant participants, the focus group design and survey design, um, what else did you realize in, in the study that you presented on?
1: Um so I'm not quite sure what, what you mean by what else do you realize? I think you know one of the key take-home points that in addition to like the prioritization of potential adverse effects, which is a useful result, you know, in its own right, and we also, you know, in a different part of the study, we we had them prioritize the potential benefits. So both of those things are helpful for going forward for thinking about not the design of technologies, but also how to structure risk assessments in the future. Um, But you know, that important point of like support for technology does not mean a lack of concern about potential adverse effects. Um, that really challenges our kind of simplistic views about being pro or anti-technology. Like if you're pro something you don't care about its potential harms. We often, with our black and white brains, kind of um, think that way. But we found that actually, no, there's nuance. These people are supportive of this technology but they also don't want it to do more harm than the existing you know, pest is doing. They also don't want it to do harm to the agroecological system that they care about, right? And so there can be more of a nuanced discussion about these, these risks and about biotechnology governance going forward. And
2: okay, so, Fred has a question. And Fred, if I boggle this, just raise your hand and you can ask it in person. But he's asking for a given new product, Oh, no, hold on. I lost it. For a given new product, what factors determine how much and what kind of engagement is justified? For example, is the general technology already of concern to the public?
1: Yeah. So, you know, a lot of this uh, talk is kind of a little abstract, right? Uh, we're talking about ideas. Um, so, you know, when we're actually thinking about particular products, right, um, certainly, you know, gene drive is such an, uh, an amazing topic because, you know, depending on how it's defined and which attributes end up being involved in these, you know, there is this potential for widespread, there is this potential for, you know, irreversibility, and those issues, right, add to the power element of the technology, and therefore, I think the need for for more engagement because of its potential power, because of its, you know, associated controversy. So I think, you know, the existing power of the technology the controversy around it are all things that, um, factors that determine how much and what kind of engagement is justified. But also, you know, being aware of like, where might this technology be used and what are the diversity of views um, and world views that exist in this place around this technology in terms of not wanting to do do harm to people. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's paying attention to, to that context of the technology, the attributes of the technology, where it might be used, the kind of social, um, the societal context that it's gonna be developed in.
2: All right, so we still have a few more minutes if folks have questions add them into the chat box. I'll I'll also highlight
1: Katie uh, Barnhill-Dillian, the collaborator on this project, who mentions uh, that collaborating across discipline does not mean being equally, cross-trained, um, so you can reach out to social scientists who have an interest in, in doing this type of work and not need to feel that you need to somehow, you know, learn how to design and, and conduct surveys or focus groups or workshops or whatever, um, and yeah, there's a lot of great potential for, you know, social science, ecological science, biological science, collaboration around these, these topics. As yeah, we...
2: I have a question from
0: Sarah Hartley. Uh, Go ahead, Sarah. You should be able to unmute yourself. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm actually catching in from the UK today, so uh, thanks for for inviting me. Um, I have a question, Adam, um, about engagement in the development of risk assessment frameworks. So you've talked earlier in more general terms about risk assessment policies and guidelines. Um, but the case you're looking at is very much more about a particular product if you like that will have a, a particular risk assessment i just i'd be interested in your thoughts on how engagement might change if um we're thinking about involving uh stakeholders and other experts in the design of the framework or whether existing frameworks are adequate for emerging technologies like gene drive.
1: Mm-hmm. thank you thank you for the question and thank you for for um, being here, you know, I think you know risk assessment guidelines can be seen as like one step upstream from actually conducting individual risk assessments for a particular product in a particular context. So the risk assessment guidelines are going to influence, you know, a lot of different risk assessments that get done. You can say all basically, right? So they're very consequential. What gets Uh, kind of designed into these risk assessment guidelines. So I think they're a site that needs more attention in general. I think the same point of of how do we recognize and reflect upon the key judgments being made in these processes? So how do we recognize the key judgments within risk assessment guidelines and what's at stake in, for example, whether in the guideline you design in engagement during the analysis phase, or is it just during the problem formulation phase, right? And who gets to be, like, what type of stakeholders or what type of participants are are highlighted for inclusion? Um, what type of potential risks are being designed into, are being highlighted within the guidelines as being especially important to study? Um, so I think, you know, talking about guidelines, you do need a certain type of expertise or a willingness and yeah, it's a certain you know, so it's, it's a higher amount of expertise. But I think the need is even greater because of the power, powerful nature of these guidelines going
2: forward. Okay, we'll squeeze in one last question from uh, Jason Delborne, who asks, "Who usually makes decisions about how risk assessments are designed? What will convince them to open up their processes to engagement?"
1: Yeah, so. Um, thank you for the question. I'd like to answer this one in two ways. So often we think about risk assessments as only something that's like associated with a regulatory decision, right? Like a particular technology is proposed, a regulatory body says, okay, we're going to do a risk assessment on it to inform the decision. And that certainly is one form of risk assessment that is, you know, very consequential and engagement then. You know, can be justified in certain ways that align with these agency priorities and such. Um, but engage like risk assessment more broadly is something that can be done. Um, it's not just something for regulatory agencies to do, right? It's something that's done, uh, by academics, by, um, you know, people not affiliated with governments, governmental agencies. So, um, and those, But doing risk assessments outside of a particular decision context may actually be an easier way to um, justify engagement um, and to build it in in certain novel uh, ways. And so, you know, risk assessment is just trying to synthesize science to inform a decision or to provide useful information for a decision. You can do that in a regulatory body, but you can also do it because you're an academic who cares about how decisions are being made about these technologies, right, and sees the need for this, this type of work to be done. So, um, you know, you justify engagement in different ways based on where which context you're dealing with, but I think there's an important role
2: for it regardless of your context. All right, well, thank you so much, Adam, for doing this, particularly since it's on your birthday. I'm sure there's other things you'd much rather be doing. Uh,
1: engagement and risk assessment, it's a great topic. Thank
2: you all for uh, being here but thanks again and thank you all for joining us and uh, we'll see you again uh, next week hopefully have a great week everyone